Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks and welcome back to my favourite time of the week. And as part of the Inspiring Leadership series, I'm very lucky to be here with Martin Williams. Martin is the CEO of M, the restaurant brand, and also Gaucho. So Martin, welcome. It's great to have you on the series. Thank you. Uh, do you want to just tell us in just a, a snapshot what you're doing at the moment, just right now, as far as your leadership? So we have two brands, which are both under one umbrella company, Rare Restaurants. I'm the CEO of that company, so CEO and founder of M and CEO of Gaucho. We have 16 Gaucho restaurants, three M restaurants. And to say they're just restaurants would be an understatement. They're actually brands which have lifestyle elements, membership elements. Um, so. The challenge as a restaurateur and as CEO of that group right now is in a uh, fairly tough sector facing lots of headwinds is to see how they have growth opportunities, how they can build a community of individuals who think of them as a brand or a home from home and look at all the opportunities for those brands to grow. Brilliant. And you as an inspiring leader, and you were recommended by Nusha Paris, mm -hmm. she speaks very highly of you and many people I've spoken to do. Um, who's inspired you, very briefly? What would be the two you'd choose and what qualities do you admire in them? So I think in CEOs and leaders, uh, two different ones. One would be David Campbell, who worked with Virgin Radio, uh, Formula One, AEG um, and Virgin itself. And he inspired me because he was always the, the guy behind a very high profile individual and that high profile individual was probably renowned for being quite difficult to work with and he managed to galvanize a team to actually drive change and he's gone through four or five different sectors um, media, sports entertainment, music entertainment and then restaurants so who's latterly working with Richard Caring at the Ivy another high profile individual mm. with a yeah. reputation and in each one of the, the roles I've seen him work in he's applied very good business sense to drive those businesses forward regardless of going cross-sector and has managed to see I think the high-profile individual who's heading those companies up as almost taking the buffer while he actually got on with the business of making that business very successful and getting the, his senior management team and everyone who worked for him to think of him as a very dynamic individual even though he was low profile. Good. And the other one you said was your brother? The other one is my brother. So Alan Williams who was MD of Hearst for the last 15 years, he's just gone on to something else. Um, so he created and worked at Men's Health and Women's Health and was looking after Esquire and other magazines, but particularly with Men's Health. Um, what I admired about him was his achievement of taking something which was quite basic, it was publishing and it was paper publishing, and then look at that as a brand and look at all the different opportunities for that. Mm. Uh, so he created uh, food elements to it, sporting event elements to it, the ultimate uh, brand extension which was women's health, sister brand, and uh, things like survival of the fittest. So he managed to take something 
and it is, when people talk about restaurants, I actually talk about brand rather than restaurants. And he did the same, where he, instead of talking about magazines, he looked at the potential of that brand and maximized okay. it. Okay. Um, and along his journey, I think he's probably the, the, the person I know the most who the people who worked for him, whether they were senior management or beyond, and he managed to engage everybody who worked for him in his team very well, they would all say his biggest motivating factor was kindness. Yeah, and he managed to engage with them on a personal level and everyone within his team on a personal level. And I think in, when people look at CEOs or leaders, they assume it's completely ruthless and you have to be very austere and hard and sort of grind out results. And Alan managed to get, and has continues to manage to get, um, huge success in getting buy-in. Not necessarily, he has the vision himself, but he manages to take the team with them by personal engagement and actually caring about their role within the journey and how they can be successful personally as well as within his vision of right. their careers. What a, what a special brother to have. Yes, um, yeah, yeah. huge support whilst yeah. I was uh, you, you said yeah. in my sort of entrepreneurial elements uh, over the last five years being an entrepreneur um, in an environment where it's quite hard to choose what you can share with who. Exactly. He was well, a huge support for me. Well, that was the next question I was going to ask you was um, we all make mistakes and um, I'm sure I've made far more than you have. But um, if you were to pick one story of disappointment, setbacks, or, or a mistake you made as a leader and how it shaped you now and how you, you act differently. What, what would be, I think your story is linked to what you just said about your yeah, so situation there. So my journey to today was I, was, I worked with Gaucho restaurants for nine years. I left there as managing director. I then decided to set up my own restaurant group in the last four years. Uh, um, I was an entrepreneur and that was creating M. And then in the last 12 months, We've basically merged the two companies together, they've been acquired, and now I'm heading both up. But the four to five years of being the entrepreneur were the most difficult within my entire career. And one of the first mistakes I made was I'd always taken leadership principles as I create a vision, I then surround myself by very talented in individuals, very they wise. buy into the vision, and individually have clear goals, objectives, and I'm sharing as much of the journey with them as possible, and it's very inclusive. I overshared, my, my, my biggest mistake in the first year of being an entrepreneur was oversharing the fear of being an entrepreneur. So, well, actually my biggest mistake was not having enough working capital ever as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, but, um, and that then manifests itself in fear and is, can be very, um, stifling yeah. um, and that's something that what you I originally that? shared with my senior management group and individuals and I think you I very quickly learned that in, in hindsight there's a certain level where people don't want to know that much information and it's unfair actually to share the fear of potentially your company going bust or what are the consequences of having short working capital um, and, and I think as an employee, not that number one figurehead, but as an employee, you should have the right to believe that you're going to be paid on time, you have 100% job security. And to, to share that, those fears is actually very unfair. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it had a very destructive or 
it, um, the fear within me may have been, okay, that's 10% is headspace. It became 50% or 70% and actually, again, uh, was disproportionate within the individuals who, because they didn't necessarily have the full picture, yeah. they couldn't see the solutions. So I wasn't sharing the solutions enough with them. And actually, I didn't need to. Yeah. It was simply, they don't need to know that level of detail and the downside as much as I'm sharing it with them. Very wise. And, and just to end, what would be your final top tip as a you know, inspiring leader I think, that I you think share with others? The, my top tip would be to try and merge the two elements of business that I've had or leadership that I've had, which has been being an entrepreneur and a CEO of a big institutionally backed company. And the first time this word was ever mentioned to me was Craig Donaldson, who's CEO of Metro Bank, he's yeah, a great right. guy. And he, um, he used the words entrepreneur. Yeah. And I, I think that's what I would share is be an entrepreneur within your business. Yeah. And what do I mean by that? It's embrace all the structure of a business and uh, the, bigger, the bigger business as a whole, but add in the flair of being an entrepreneur, the creativity of being an entrepreneur, the having your working day being having meditative elements so that you're free to think, be spontaneous and ambitious and an underdog, but within a bigger company. Fantastic. Martin, thank you very much indeed. A pleasure. Really appreciate you sharing that. We'll have a further conversation in the extra session next. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks and welcome back to Inspiring Leadership Extra where Martin and I are talking further about his life and his experiences and some leadership ex experiences he can give us. So Martin, um, you, um, like myself, grew up in the, in the Northeast. Um, I was in Scarborough, you were in Mask by the Sea, is that right? That's correct, yes. Yeah, uh, so, so tell us, you know, who influenced you as you, were, as you were growing up? So I think I was very lucky, and certainly in, in later life, you appreciate what uh, um, the, the impact that a stable upbringing has on you. I was part of a big family and I had incredible parents who still still with us, still do have them, um, but gave me an incredible upbringing. And what do I mean by that? Actually, it was secure. I never doubted any family instability. Like we always felt like you were from a stable background and they gave me self-confidence. So, and I think that was probably the biggest thing they could ever do. So everybody th talks now sort of go oh well you're very ambitious or you're ve you have such self-belief it was actually instilled in me from a young age so at one point i wanted to be a uh, world famous athlete world record breaking athlete and my parents let me believe that that would be true even though yeah. it w was what never was your, going to what be was your sport? Uh, running i used to do middle distance running oh, right. yeah. so did i yeah mm. yeah yeah as new mass carriers, oh right, which probably competed against. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. We, and then we were doing the cross country down in Scarborough and, and yeah, as yeah. well. So, yeah. it's, uh, South Durham, North Yorkshire. What was the League. kind of distances that you ran? Um, so anything between eight hundred meters to three thousand. But yeah. then, I, then I did a bit of road racing, sort of five thousand, ten thousand meters. So. Yeah. Any any mountain marathons or crazy? No, things like that? no, no. Um, nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping to do the Medoc Marathon this year, which okay. is. Uh, the only marathon I'm ever going to do, but so it's uh, novels of drinking wine at the it end. It is uh, well during, so it's uh, <laughs> forty kilometres and forty wineries along the way. No. So if you're going to do a marathon in life, I think that's that the one is, you should do. That is very cool. <laughs> that is very cool. 
Okay, so so growing up um, in the northeast and yeah. parents who gave you belief in yourself, what, what else shaped you as a leader? So then, so then I went to London at eighteen to go to drama school, and I think. Um, which one did you go to? I went to Aurora, the Academy of Light and Recorded Arts. Um, so there was about half a dozen um, drama schools at the time that were, that were all accredited, like RADA, Central, and Aurora was one of those. And did a, a three-year course in acting. And I think that gave me, again, confidence, but self-presentation, how you hold yourself in a room, how you, how you articulate. Uh, the power of speech and the way that you construct a sentence or tone, volume, so all the different elements and, and that becomes second nature and you have voice lessons every day for three years um, You and you're reading various plays, poems, whatever it happens to be. Um, you, you, it just becomes second nature, your understanding of that and how you can play on certain skills and tools um, to be able to articulate well. Now that might be in creating a vision and articulating that vision. It might be in creating a great brief for a team of in, a team a restaurant team uh, before they go to a shift. It, but it, I mean, and it definitely allows you to inspire and teaches you how to inspire. Um, so it's very rare that when I walk in a restaurant, no matter how well dressed or badly dressed people will know that I'm the owner of that space and, yeah. I'm, a, and I'm the CEO within that company or the restaurateur, but they know instantly that I am the leader. Yeah. And, and, and that was something you developed. It was in, something in you learned at drama school. It's actually interesting. You did an exercise uh, as an actor and if you were playing an insecure character, you would imagine this tiny bubble around you and you then start shrinking within that bubble and it compresses and you become smaller and you become this very insecure humble gestures and uh, and your physicality adjusts to a, this mm. sort of tiny tiny individual whilst the opposite is having a bubble which fills a whole restaurant so it starts off as you enter that room and all of a sudden your chest's out and and you own the space but then the bubble expands with you and you imagine this bubble filling the space that you're in and then all of a sudden you have authority and command of that space mm. now that would be a king lear for example right yeah. so it's um how do you how do you take that methodology plus the beauty of movement so another another thing we learned at drama school was quite interesting so I was doing ballet and at least balletic man on earth however you learn the beauty of movement and how that then impacts all your day-to-day -day habits but particularly the service of a restaurant it was a great skill for me to learn so at one point when we were te when I was at the stage where I was still teaching service and this kind of thing um, I would get all the waiters wandering around with trays and actually doing plies and arabesques <laughs> and this kind of thing. And I, and I think I think someone did it in a football club once. I think maybe in Liverpool. And um, but it, the beauty of movement and how that can be subtle and elegant and sophisticated and add uh, um, um, what it adds to the restaurant journey. It's ultimately, instead of uh, the potentially the putting down of plates being intrusive. You actually don't know the plate being put down, and it's it's the opposite of intrusive. Yeah. Um, and everything becomes subliminal, and then all of a sudden you're noticing all the subliminal elements of an amazing dining experience, and it's one of them. So, 
Um, but I think the biggest thing of, of, of the drama drama school and then being an actor afterwards and playing a range of roles was... Um, how, long did you, how long did you act for? Three years. Okay. So I was fairly successful for those three years. So I did a lot of adverts, uh, did a few plays, um, a few TV bits, mainly ended up... I had spiky white hair at the time. I looked like Billy Idol. And uh, <laughs> so I mainly ended up playing... Uh, gay roles, or my my favourite was I was a transvestite whore in a program ITV program called <laughs> The Vice, and I uh, and I was trotting around. So I went to at the time it was a one transsexual shop in in London. And I went and bought some size eleven heels, and um, was trotting around my flat in these heels for about a month. <laughs> it was like in the Queen video where I'm hoovering in the heels. Yeah, yeah. and. Um, and then I, uh, I, d I did this scene with Mark Warren, who, who's become a successful actor and was at the time. And I didn't realize he's only like five foot two. So they said to me, <laughs> Martin, uh, would you mind taking off the heels? And I was livid. I've been practicing <laughs> in these, uh, trotting down the street, offering him various sexual acts as a, as a hooker at the time. And, uh, and we couldn't fit in the same screen. <laughs> so oh, no. I had to, I had to squat as I was walking down the street. Yeah. 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 Okay, so acting, and then what? What made you go into? Um, so it's the most most actors do. I was working in restaurants pretty much throughout my as a student. Uh, so again, my parents gave me a great great work ethic, and I think that stood me in great stead um, as an Englishman in hospitality. With a work ethic twenty years ago, you were very much a rarity. Really? So I managed to. Um, so, but I'd been working in restaurants since I was pretty much 16, either as a KP, a barman, a bartender, waiter, and then at, at about, I think it's probably the age of 23. Just staying with that for a moment, why, why do you think the English are, you know, you were such a rarity when th we've got so many excellent staff from all over Europe and abroad? Why, um, why are the Brits not going to? I think within hospitality, certainly at the time, and even, even to a degree now, it was a career which people thought was beneath them. So you see today, last week, uh, the hospitality industry was deemed as low-skilled. Mm. And I saw an email from uh, somebody who had been to university and then chosen to be a general manager in a restaurant. So high-skilled job. Mm. And they were going, why, why is it my parents are saying to me, you're wasting your degree? And that's only amplified by this immigration issue at the moment where the um, hospitality industry, again, isn't getting a... Uh, the voice it should have or the respect it deserves or individuals working in it getting the respect they deserve mm. and I don't think people see I mean the celebrity chef culture has helped that but I don't think people see hospitality as a high-flying career and that was very much the case then so the only people who actually ended up in hospitality or majority of them had fallen into it including myself but mm. th they tended to be people who were devoid of purpose or work ethic yeah so as a Vaguely intelligent Englishman, well presented with all of my acting skills, and, uh, and a sense of purpose, and a sense of purpose, and, and very ambitious. Um, I, I very quickly um, got on a management training program with City Centre Restaurants in a restaurant called Wok Wok. Uh, then joined Zizi when it was six restaurants. Was part of their senior management team and operations manager until there were 36 restaurants wow. left at that point went back into being a general manager wanted to understand fine dining better went to a great restaurant called Christopher's which at that point was a hot house of politicians and media journalists who political journalists 
So every day, I'd always, my father was uh, leader of Liberal Democrats in North Yorkshire for a while. And uh, so I'd always been interested in politics. So to be the GM of a restaurant where you had Tony Blair, uh, Boris Johnson, Andrew Mars, Sonia Patel, uh, uh, Amanda Patel, sorry, and um, just all these great journalists and great media, uh, great, great uh, MPs. Uh, who you've grown up with admiring all dining in your restaurant was very exciting but and it taught me sort of white white tablecloth dining which yeah. is what I wanted to get out of it um, then had a terrible leader he was the CEO at the time a guy called uh, I can't remember his surname was Chu and he was just a very angry shouty man uh, and so didn't enjoy his style of leadership whatsoever and always knew that his anger would turn on me at some point, but managed, learnt to manage upwards and survive longer than any other GM of that restaurant. Um, and then decided, okay, I wanted to go back to a more casual style of dining, which was gaucho. And then had a, had a great CEO there who believed in me, Zev Godic, and for the nine years I worked there, worked my way up from GM, and I was getting amazing results at the time, but they, they in no part were supported by a boom period in hospitality. Um, but uh, started, started off uh, working Canary Wharf, then went on to the flagship site, then became ops manager, ops director, and then managing director for the last few years before I left there after nine years. Yeah. To become an entrepreneur. Yeah. And to create my own restaurant group M. Which is now three restaurants, one in the city, one in Victoria, one in Twickenham, and we're about to open a third one in Canary Wharf at the okay. end of this year. Well, congratulations. And with all the learning that you've had and uh, success along the way, we, we've had our highs and we've had our lows, and we've talked about that before, but what would you um, say was one of the darkest parts of your career and your life, and what did you learn from it? Um, <coughs> I think the, the darkest period was we'd had a situation about 18 months ago maybe two years ago now um, yes two years ago now where we'd been promised growth, growth funding from a bank and we were performing we had the first six months of the year we were performing better than we budgeted better than we forecast so we had no reason to expect that they wouldn't deliver on that and it was at a time when the hospitality sector was struggling and companies going into administration and um, and that, at that point, they withdrew their funding. And that was exactly at the time, and that was growth funding, but it was also to support working capital. And at the same time, we were trying to acquire another restaurant group. So we were living that balance between potential failure and managing the working capital for, that, for about a year, and at the same time, bringing what was now a successful business, but with working capital challenges, uh, to a exit. Yeah. So it was that bridge of the pressure of, I need to make this a success and get a successful exit and find a growth solution for what to become. If I hadn't found a growth solution, it would we would have gone on a downward spiral. So we were always on that balance of, very close to failure, very close to huge success, and living with the stress of both of those things, whilst only portraying the uh, image of success, was incredibly stressful. And yeah. and at that point, uh, I had about four million pounds of friends and family money, including my own, in the business, yeah. and it was the added pressure not only of um, 
having a failure as a company and maybe that four years of sacrifice going going to be going to waste um, but also the damage that would have done to all the people who had believed in me and invested in me and the great thing was was that um, we we continued to get good results and we managed to find a successful exit for those investors and then uh, the two companies M and Gaucho merged talent were acquired by the same institutional backers that Gaucho had been after they'd gone through administration and taken me on as CEO to lead them out the, out the other side of that and now we're one big successful company um, that's enjoying a new vision the involvement of Gaucho and the reimagination of Gaucho as a brand has been incredibly successful is getting double digit cover growth um, in a challenging industry as I mentioned and we've just opened our first reimagined Gaucho, evolved Gaucho uh, in Charlotte Street. Okay, and, yeah. and that that's now getting incredible growth year on year and is doing doing very well in attracting a new demographic of diners to that restaurant to, to the Gaucho restaurant group and has painted a vision of what the future for Gaucho and the bigger company will be. And that's been a great opportunity because you're that, that can be the offering, it can be the people, but it's also about values. And I think what's exciting is when you join a new company or you create a new company, is you can recreate those values. And that's meant in our, in, for Gaucho now and will be for Rare Restaurants as a whole, so M also, um, we've been able to create a carbon-free beef project. So we are committing in the first case at Charlotte Street, it's 100% carbon-free and the whole company should be by the end of 21. Um, that's very rare in a, in a restaurant group that you would lead that, and particularly a steak restaurant group, where you would lead that campaign. At the same time, 10% of our workforce comes from uh, disadvantaged, people from disadvantaged backgrounds. So we're working with three or four charities. One is a charity which um, takes people who are homeless, skills them up, gives them self-confidence, and then find some work, and we help them with the work element of that. Another is people who've been, uh, it's called the clink, people who've been in prison, does the same thing. You would never be able to do that in a, um, in a sort of an old institutional company or brand. So yeah. to be able to reset the values and beliefs of a new co has been incredibly inspiring for myself and everybody in it. Good, and just as we come to the end of our time, who else would you like to highlight as you found them inspiring leaders and what qualities do they have? I think they fall into a few categories. And what would be your final top tip? Um, I think, um, so the two leaders I mentioned earlier, um, one was my brother and sort of bringing people, creating a great vision, creating great brands and bringing people through kindness uh, along the journey with kindness. So another gentleman called Joel Williams who has, who's a CEO of the Conduit Club and he manages to create a vision and motivate people through personal relationships in the same way my brother does. And I find him inspiring in being able to achieve both commercial success but also actually redefining values of his company and its incredible sustainable members club. Mm. Um, the, the other two people which I put into a different group, uh, Craig Donaldson and Ellis Short, and I've seen them as leaders of their businesses. One was a football club, Sunderland Football Club, and one was Metro Bank. Face such criticism, and they've they basically 
been incredibly res resilient through adversity for such a sustained period of time. And I find that very inspiring, having had a little bit of that in my life, to realize how hard that is. Yeah. So their resilient, resilience is exceptional. And then two other leaders, like Alistair Asherton and Annabelle Schild, both of them are investors and have been investors in M and, um, and invest in a whole portfolio of um, companies. And they're leading through investment and actually they manage to inspire their invest the, the people they're investing in. And again, like incredibly generous with their time and, in, and their money um, to actually help you have belief in yourself. And I think you can apply that to your team as investment of time, energy in, into, into your senior management team um, is an incredible uh, tool you have at your disposal, but is often very un underutilized. Good, and, and the final, final so top tip? My top tip would be surround yourself by brilliant people. So that's within my, within my senior management team, I have a whole range of incredibly ambitious, intelligent uh, individuals who, outthink the rest of their industry and unified together can achieve things that other, other uh, companies within our industry wouldn't even dream of. And I'm very fortunate but selected those people because of those qualities. And also surround yourself by an amazing support network for your personal life. So in that case, as I mentioned, my brother Alan, but also my wife Claire, who's a, a HIV clinical nurse specialist. Wow. So how to, to have that grounding but actually the incredible support she's given me over the last decade, and that was working as MD of Gaucho and then the whole entrepreneurial journey and now a new stage of my career as the CEO I am today. Just supporting that and understanding the time, time commitments that come with that, the pressures that come with that. Um, I think you have to build a network of brilliant people around you all in their own different ways that support you. Martin, brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Really enjoyed hearing from you and I know others will do too. So, now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you gonna do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.